Grant them eternal rest, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon them. Amen. Well, friends, today we are here to celebrate what's known as a Requiem Mass, obviously uh, by Mozart. Thank you, musicians, by the way. This is super uh, awesome. <laughs> That's a liturgical term. Uh, thank you for your participation today. It's really terrific to be able to worship the way that Mozart wrote the prayers. These were, incidentally, this, um, unlike most Requiem settings, this one was actually written to be used at Mass. So it's meant to be practical. Later on in history, Requiems were written. They were more for performance than for actual worship. This one being an exception. And I want to challenge you, before I move into the sermon, simply this. As you go through, the, as the choir is singing, read the words. Unless you, sing, unless you can read Latin, you'll need to read the translation to the right. But the point being, one thing that I love about anything set to music, is that it takes the words and the prayers within the text and puts it to music to generate emotion, an emotional response. And so you really get to see how Mozart, Lacrimosa, for example, how he says, how his, uh, his emotional response to the prayers as they're being sung. So not only is it just um, beautiful music, which it is, but also read the prayers as they're set to music, and you can see Mozart's uh, intuition into the emotions that go with those prayers that are written. But anyway, today is a requiem mass, and no matter whether it's written by Mozart or uh, Faure or whomever, for that matter, uh, a, a, a requiem mass is essentially a mass where we pray for and we pray with the dead. Christians who have died who have died saved by Jesus, otherwise known as the faithful departed. The requiem, the word requiem comes from the first word, if you go back and look, of the entire text, which is requiem, which means rest. Requiem eternum, donais domine, et lex perpetua. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but the idea is grant them eternal rest, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon them. Requiem means to rest. What does that mean? To rest from what exactly? And what does that help us to understand our own lives as Christians? So two points I want to look at this morning. Uh, why, and it's, it's an important question worth considering, why do we pray for the dead in the first place? And then what can the dead remind us as the living? There's an old expression in the, in the church called the church militant, which is the church on earth, you know, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith. And then the church triumphant, which is the church which is in heaven, whom we are remembering even today. So two things. Why do we pray for the dead? And what do the dead remind us? Here's a question. Why do we pray for the dead? Well, it's actually a very, very good question. And I'm not going to go into a deep dive on this. But the, uh, the idea here that I want to talk about this morning is there's essentially, throughout history, two main schools of thought as to why you would pray for the dead. One is that we pray for the dead to get them into heaven, to push them over the, the finish line, right? To, to, uh, to get them from purgatory or, you know, almost in over the gate into the promised land. This is an oversimplification, granted, but the entire Reformation was in part launched because of a reaction to masses for the dead. You may know this, that the Bishop of Rome, a.k.a. the Pope, sold in what's called, known as an indulgence, which you could give a certain amount of money, and it would get you a certain amount of time off of purgatory um, to shorten the suffering of those who had died before they actually were entered into paradise. They were to 
to help uh, pay for sins left unrepented of before a loved one had died. And it sounds silly to us, a lot of people, but if you think about it, it actually makes tremendous pastoral sense, which I think is why it's so especially cruel for the church to do this. Because if you think about it, you can understand why the idea of giving money to pray somebody into heaven, why there's tremendous love and appeal in the idea. We all have one, lost ones that we love, right? Every single person has someone in this room who has died, and we all in every way want to do what we can to help them, to get them across the line. The idea of helping them into heaven in case they didn't make it. As my uh, seminary professor once said, to get granny off the griddle. <laughs> See, even requiems can be funny. Uh, but you get it, right? It's enticing. It's supremely pastoral for people that love those we've lost to want to do something, anything, to help alleviate the suffering of those that we loved. Really what we want is the, uh, what the Baptists would call blessed assurance, right? The idea that those who have died, what really happened to them? Did they make it? So the church has, in, in the past, I'm not advocating for this, but I'm just pointing it as, is that I think what a lot of us even really want to do is pray for the dead just in case they didn't quite make it in. But the flip side of it is just as bad, which is the polar opposite and an overreaction to mainstream Protestants, a.k.a. modern-day evangelicals, that once we are saved, we are made perfect. The theological term is God's grace is imputed to us so that when we become in God's eyes, once you become a, a Christian, you become in God's eyes no different than Jesus. The idea of praying for a person who died, if you're saved, once saved, always saved, right? Then the idea of praying for the dead makes no sense. And in fact, might even be uh, bordering on doubting whether or not Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient. Once saved, always saved. Or maybe, maybe you just pray the Jesus prayer one night with Joel Olstein after you get home from an all-night bender bent over a bowl of ice cream, right? And blammo, you're saved, baby. Woo! It's not quite that simple either. In fact, once saved, always saved, this is a common thing in modern evangelicalism, it doesn't jive with the facts either. Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 7, 21. So maybe the Jesus prayer, maybe that's just not enough either. Maybe there's more nuance to it. Maybe there's more to the question than meets the eye. Well, the Anglican view, not surprisingly, is sort of the middle way, the via media. It's a pretty nuanced approach, and it's, I think, the best one so far that I know of, that I can think of, that I've read. On the one hand, we Anglicans pray for those who have died, but we actually spend more time not praying for them, but praying with them. Praying for the dead who have gone before us. Leaving the idea of who's in and who's out to Almighty God and His decision alone. But as Anglicans, we pray for the dead, but we more importantly pray with them. In fact, in a few minutes before we get into the Eucharist, I will, I will say the following words, and we say it every time we celebrate the Mass. Therefore, with angels, listen to what I'm saying, listen. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, holy, 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 
Listen to that again. Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Well, who might that be? Dead people. Family who are saved. So a requiem mass, on the one hand, is an opportunity to pray for the dead, to be, re- to be reminded of our own mortality. And man, read the words to this piece of music and you'll come away going, whoa, I think I need a gut check on this one. Mozart's right. We take this way too lightly. But a requiem mass is also an opportunity to pray for the dead, but also with them. If you look at your bulletin, I think I've got one here. There's a great picture on the front. Don't look at it yet because I'm preaching, but when I'm done, uh, there's a... Uh, I'm watching. I can see you down there. I'm just playing. If you look at the cover of your bulletin, there is a, an image was written, was painted right around after the end of World War I for Remembrance Day, which is what we're, why we're doing this today. And uh, if you look, it's a, a painting by a guy named uh, Noyles, T. Noyes Lewis, a layman, an Anglican. And he wrote, he painted that painting. And if you look at it, you'll see, just like we're doing now, a priest, deacon, and subdeacon in black vestments at an altar with a thurible and acolytes. And if you look above the altar, you'll see people. You'll see dead people. And I don't mean like the sixth sense dead people. I mean you will see departed soldiers. And if you look at that image closely, you can't see it so much and it's sort of grainy, but if you look at it, you see, you see World War I soldiers pretty clearly. And then as it goes up, it goes into knights and then later on, English soldiers from millennia before. But the idea is the people in the, lit and the mass can't see it. But the image, the, pic, the painting points the spiritual reality, you see, that we are praying for the dead, but also, and maybe more importantly, we are praying with them. I want you to let that sink in. Many of you have asked us to pray for your dead relatives and friends, which we will do at the necrology in a moment, which is a list of departed souls. We're not just praying for them. We're also thanking God for them. We, you, and I are praying with them. Let me give you an example. My father, Anthony Rodriguez, he's on the list. Died five years, four years ago, 75 years old. I miss him. Isn't it funny too? Your funny thing is when you lose someone who's close to you and you feel sad about it. I, this is the first couple of years when after my dad had died, I'd be like, man, I feel terrible. I'm going to call my dad. I'm like, oh, that's right, I can't. He's... But that's part of it. That's part of the gig. It's part of losing people that you love. There's a hole left there. It's not just them that die. Part of you dies too. And I think I'd like to, I, I, I'm reminded, not every time I'm at the altar, but I'm reminded frequently, particularly today, and I take comfort in the fact that even now I'm praying with my father. Weird sense of humor and all, right? And my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-great-grandparents who grew up from the tidewater of Virginia and the Basque country of Spain, whom I don't even know their names, but if they're saved, then I'm praying with them this morning even as you, as you are. If they are saved, you are praying, they are praying with me, with us together. Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Just as your saved ones are praying here with you at this altar this morning. But back to the question, right? Why do we pray for them? Why do we pray for the dead? It's actually a really good question. We pray for the dead because just like we pray for the living because we miss them. 
Because prayers for those we love, imprecatory prayers, asking God to do something for us, are prayers that say essentially this, Lord, this is out of my control, I need your help. And I don't care if you're talking about your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, living or dead. Imprecatory prayers are also, wow, this is way beyond me, I need your help, Lord. And I think that's a good place to rest as we pray for the dead. How God uses those prayers, can you get granny off the griddle? Couldn't tell you. How does God use those prayers? Is the, uh, is the prayer with Joel Olstein over a bowl of ice cream and the Jesus prayer enough? Can't tell you that. I can tell you that I pray nonetheless because I know that God is good and our prayers for the dead, just like our prayers for the living, are used by God for his purposes and his glory. So then the second point is briefly, then what do the dead remind us? This is something we n- I've never thought about until this past week. I preached a sermon last week on All Saints Day. Many, some of you were here, many of you were here. And I compared life in this world with its struggles and its wars and its difficulties and bad, hard relationships and loss of loved ones and Hamas, nuclear war, China, Taiwan, the whole shooting match, right? I compared that, the kingdom of this world, broken and fallen, to the kingdom of God, where the saints even now live. And that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, when Christ returns, will be brought back together, and Christ will reign as king and lord over both. The kingdom of God will be made real. All things will be set to rights when Christ returns. Justice will be served. Goodness will prevail with Jesus Christ as the king. Amen? Let me challenge you to think of it this way. Think about this. I'd never thought about this until this week. Even as we pray for and with the dead, listen, they see the end game. They see the end game. They see the reality of Christ on his throne even now. They live in it even now. To quote St. Paul, you know, we, right now on this world, we see through a glass darkly. But then we, like they now, will see God face to face, Paul says. While we hope and we long and we pray for our Lord Jesus to come quickly and set the world to rights, think about it like this. They experience that now firsthand. (laughs) Make it concrete. My father, Anthony Rodriguez, if he is saved, and I presume he is because I was there when he died and I ministered to him on his deathbed, but that is to the grace of God. But assuming he is saved, my dad, Anthony Rodriguez, he sees that victory even now. Even as I, my head spins when I turn on the news and I yearn for Christ to return and I, wor- I yearn for the world to be right, he sees it even now. He sees justice in the Middle East, for example. He sees the end of all war, for example. He, my dad, anybody who is saved, sees the kingdom of God even now. And they remind us, to be faithful. To the people in your own life whom you've lost, if they're saved, guess what? They see it too. And while we miss them and we feel sad and broken and we, we lament and we wish to see them again, in one sense, they've got the better gig. In a lot of sense, they've got the better gig because they see the end game and they see where this thing leads and they live in it. They live in it even now. In fact, the unsaved see it too, and they shudder. 
The word requiem, rest. Requiem in the Christian sense does not mean your feet up with a cocktail and a cigar, right? Requiem does not mean eternal retirement. No, it's far more interesting and far more exciting in the real sense of the word. Requiem is the culmination for everything that you and I were made for, to rest in the grace and the glory of God. To see Jesus as the king, face to face, even now. To see his kingdom, even now. Where his, world will be, his will will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, even as we wait for it here on earth. See, to be at rest, friends, means to see victory. To be at rest from the worries and troubles and fears of this world. And to see the, oh yeah, I knew that was it. And it finally happened, right? It's like Christmas Day. You come downstairs and see, every, like when you're a kid, and you see what all the parents that were given to you, right? When you're at rest with the Lord, you see the end game firsthand. So we should be sad and mourn them, but we should also rejoice for them. Friends, even as we mourn those who have lost and we love, even as we thank God for putting them in our lives in the first place, which he didn't have to do, but he did purely by his grace, let's also be reminded of something I think important that we forget. I know I have. Let us rejoice with them. Let us be thankful that they've run the race and kept the faith, to quote Paul, that they see the victory of Jesus. They see the very victory of Jesus that we all long to see. Grant them eternal rest, O Lord, and that light perpetual shine upon them. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.